Welcome to The Undercover Elephant, a podcast about scaling and optimizing your PHP applications produced by Tideways. Each week, Benjamin Eberlei and Matthew Setter sit down with an expert from the PHP community to discuss a specific aspect of highly performant PHP applications. Whether you're a lone developer or part of a larger team, if you want to develop fast and reliable PHP applications, then this, my friend, is the podcast for you. Alrighty, let's get started. In this episode, we're going to be talking about all things logging with Jordi Borgiano. You'll find an article, as always, about the topic of the podcast on tideways.com forward slash podcast forward slash seven, as well as in the show notes. Hello, Jordi. Where are you calling in from today? Hey, uh, I'm in Zurich in Switzerland. Great. So we have met through the Symphony community and um, for, uh, I believe, a very long time, you have been working on monologue and working on logging in general, besides also being one of the inventors uh, of Composer and working on Composer, uh, Composer through your uh, company uh, packages conductors on private and I would call, call it public pep packages and Composer. So today we want to talk uh, to you about your work you did on logging and um, we believe you have some unique insights into logging or more specific experience with logging that is very interesting um, to our listeners and uh, we also have questions ourselves and uh, are uh, dying to get them answered. All right, so I guess maybe we start off at the top and just say like why should, maybe broadly, a developer use logging? And then maybe we can sort of dive in a bit more deeper, deeper and a bit more specific. Yeah, that's a very, very broad scope. <laughs> uh, why should you log? Well, I think that the main, uh, the main point is that eventually uh, things always go bad, which is with, with programming in general, but maybe more broadly, just in, in, in the world, uh, nothing <laughs> ever goes completely right. So logging kind of help helps you to, I would say, to prepare for when things go bad so that when things do go bad, you have information that's already there that can help you de debug things. Least that, that's my main, yeah, my main reason, I would say, for, for logging things is kind of covering uh, future problems. If someone, say, say was maybe new to logging, hadn't done it before, um, maybe we're sort of taking over an application and they wanted to integrate logging into it. Do you have suggestions based on your experience or recommendations for how to get started? Because I guess like, like software development being what it is, you can sort of get over enthusiastic and sort of want to log everything. And then you sort of go on from maybe having no information to just being overwhelmed in it. What, how would you suggest someone get started and then sort of progressively, progressively sort of step up? Mm. Well, so I guess maybe the, the obvious thing would be to, to start just logging errors and then like kind of just obvious malfunctions in the applications. Cause that, I mean, that's, yeah, I guess I kind of forgot this obvious point in the, the previous answer, but it's the other big reason for logging, I guess, is, is alerting in general, right? So, so is that one? You first, you need to know that there is a problem, and uh, and logs are kind of a common way to do alerting. So if you have an error, you log it. You 
can configure things to to send you an email or, or like I don't know like ping you on some mobile app or something, and then you would go and maybe dive a bit more into the logs and, and try and figure out what happened and and for that part you need to log more than just the errors I think it, logging more useful information throughout the the application flow this is then very helpful I'd say typical things that would be interesting or maybe like SQL queries um, HTTP calls that you might be making to services yeah just just kind of anything that where, where the application is talking to something else that usually is quite helpful because it's it's um like it's interaction points that that give you a lot of information about the context of, of what's going on even though yeah you you might let's say that it's an easy it's an easy win because you don't need to really think about every single sql query whether it's important or not okay you can just say any sql query happening i log it and that's it might be that it's too much information at some point for sure but I think it, as a baseline, it kind of gives you a lot of useful information without uh, requiring much work. Okay. You, you mentioned in the context, I guess, sort of to make it sort of good for debugging later on. Would you have an example of maybe, say, too much context, like trying to put too much information in? Well, yeah, I don't have like a practical example really of, of I guess if you, if you log like yeah every every single method that you have if you if you have some log in there it's it's quickly gonna go bad but I guess examples from past experience um, let's say if you have uh, workers that's that's always an interesting one right if you have background workers that kind of have our uh, long lived processes. Uh, I'm sure we can discuss this later on. These always lead to to all sorts of issues. But but one one thing is that you might be doing like thousands and thousands of SQL queries over the span of you know like an hour in in the worker, and then suddenly an error happens and you get like an email with five million SQL queries or something, <laughs> and that just you know first of all it might kill your email client. Uh, you might not get the email at all just because it's it's overwhelming your inbox or something like it's it's just all sorts of weird stuff happens when uh, when you log too much so yeah you want to find a balance there somehow I, I don't really have like the ultimate wisdom that's as, as usual when things get complicated the answer is it depends so um one thing that i ask myself is um let's say we have a typical web request that takes maybe a few milliseconds or a second, two, four seconds, something like this span. What do you think maybe, do you have a rule of sum of how many log lines should be locked for a successful request of that size and how many log lines for a for a failed request? So that maybe you say it's like 100 lines for each request should be normal or, or fewer or more or something like this maybe. Yeah, I would imagine like anywhere between... 10 and 100 kind of in that scope is is normal i would say if, if there is an error it probably i mean usually for me it's kind of still this 10 to 100 plus one right like it's just the error is on top of it but i wouldn't say that the error should suddenly log like a billion things i mean as part of the the, the one error log you you want to have 
information attached, but I usually see this as, as a single log record, let's say. Okay, so let's say we have this 10 to 100 lines um, and we have requested our all run in parallel. How uh, do you correlate the, the lines? So how, like if, if I'm going to look at the log file, how do I find out that those 100 lines belong together? Right. So I guess generally speaking, dumping all the logs in one big bucket is possibly a bad idea. Just because just it, it's always going to be messy to, to look at. But if you do it anyway, because, I mean, there are still some, some good use cases for that, for sure. In mono, monologue specifically, there is um, there are a few solutions. Uh, there are a few processors that let you attach, like, a unique ID, let's say. So the, I think one is called UID processor, which will just generate a unique ID per, per request. And it will attach it to every log record you have. So then in your logs, you can kind of find uh, the UID of the log you, you're interested in. And then you can grab for that and, uh, and find all the, all the correlated ones. For uh, maybe not sending the log, but analyzing the log, um, I've used different services over the years like Logly and, mm -hmm. well, that's the first one that comes to mind and the others are actually a bit sort of vague, me and my dad mind. Um, do you have maybe like a recommendation for sort of services that make it easier to analyze logs after you've, you have a whole lot of log data or open source tools that make it easy to sort of scan and filter? So, you know, you've got like a whole stack load of data. Now you want to filter it and make sense of it. Yeah. To be honest, I'm kind of like the, the old school email user. Uh, <laughs> I know not everybody agrees with this, but... <laughs> I think, it, especially in larger teams, it's, it's kind of messy when you just deal with email. And we had the, the issue lately with, with private packages that as we added employees, it wasn't really scaling anymore to just receive emails for, for error handling because it, it's just hard to mark them as handled. Like you, you can't easily share the state of, of emails. So I would recommend that as a like small team kind of solution or if you're alone, that's perfect. It's also good because you don't have this problem of filtering logs, right? You just get the, the relevant ones in the email. But if you if you want a service for like larger larger scale, uh, we're using Paper Trail, which is pretty good, I think. But it doesn't do a whole lot of like smart filtering or anything. It's 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 more like this centralized bucket where it collects logs from from all the servers and puts them together, so you can you can easily search and filter and so on. But it doesn't do any any magic for you or any kind of like issue tracking and so on. So I'm sure there are smarter tools if if that's a need. I don't have any I can really recommend. I'm sorry, just because I I haven't used a lot of them heavily. Just because most of the projects I'm involved with are fairly small teams, and so we can usually get away with a sloppy email. <laughs> um, And as a note to the listener, no, the show is not sponsored by any logging companies. <laughs> no. Benjamin, do you have any, like on that particular point, do you have any recommendations or what's your preferred um, approach? Yeah, so um, I, I always struggle uh, with the part, not with the part of logging stuff, but then like how to look at it. And um, so in, in Tideways, currently we don't have centralized logging. So 
we are using, for example, parallel SSH to go to the machines and then tail or grab or something in the logs. So that's sometimes a bit annoying, but um, it does still work with a small team that knows how to do uh, or how to get access to that. And um, the the step going towards centralized logging um, for me is always feels like a very big one, but um, either because you have to install um, some kind of open source software that does it for you, like... Um, Kibana or Greylock or something like this. Um, they always require Elasticsearch and Elasticsearch is not the easiest service to operate in production. Um, it feels to me always it adds a lot of operational overhead to a small team to have to maintain an additional Elasticsearch server. You could argue that the locks are not that important and it could go down or something like that. But uh, in, in the end, actually, it, it couldn't get down or shouldn't get down in the most important moments. Yeah, so I'm not um, yeah totally on on a solution here that uh, I feel super comfortable with because um, the having all the files on the different servers um, feels wrong. But um, it's also easy to work with Grab and uh, all the tooling that Linux provides, which uh, centralized services usually don't have in that detail and uh, in, in, in the, that functionality. All right, okay. Well, maybe we'll sort of segue ever so slightly because I think maybe we sort of we, we drummed that one a little bit. Looking at a sense of what to log, you, you sent over, or did we have that? Looking at the differences between domain and framework messages and distinguishing between the two. I'll go on a tangent and say, when would you, so would you mostly focus on domain, I'm guessing, so domain messages versus framework messages, or how would you sort of, would you give a weight to one more, one less than the other, and potentially why? Well, so, so if I, if I think of like a symphony application, which is what I'm familiar with, I mean, the framework isn't logging a whole lot, right? It's, it's, it's going to log like SQL queries and, and Redis queries and, and whatnot. But even then, that's usually only in development environments. I think production, there's really not a whole lot happening in the logs. Like, like you're going to have like the, the router is going to log which, which route you're on. I don't know. I can think of like two or three log records per, per query that uh, per request that would kind of be framework ones. So, so I would say probably focus on the, <laughs> on the application ones or like the domain ones. But if you, if you're thinking of something else. Uh... No, no, no. That, I, I guess that's what I was going. Um, it was just, be, I guess, depending on application structure, you can maybe interlace it sort of too much into a framework. Ideally, maybe sort of keeping your app. And your framework sort of separate. I guess appreciating that it it can be essential to log certain framework context things, but maybe sort of how much and and when does that sort of create white noise versus like is it then more important to say like um, actually I'm feeling this one out badly. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to throw a line to Benjamin. Maybe you can help me out on this one. So uh, w one problem I always have with uh, adding logging in my application code is that um, there's a lot of domain events or things happening that I would lock, for example, on the info level. Let's say um, user something uh, invited another user to an account or um, click that button or change that setting from uh, X to Y or something like this. This is something I would love to sort of lock so that if something goes wrong, I could go back to the user account and look, what did this user actually do um, over the last seven days, for example? Um, 
But it feels to me that if I lock this at the info level, then I would need to sort of say, okay, in production, uh, specifically in Symphony, they uh, have a setting where they only lock warning or errors or something like this in production. Um, so all this sort of info level things that are sort of interesting, but um, without me knowing upfront what I what the question is I want to ask uh, and what I need this data for. So I, I always struggle with thought of how to do the lock levels with um, respect to um, the domain messages or domain logging, application logging, library logging, and then how to put it all together that um, that it makes sense. Okay. So I think to me, that's really a case where the, the, the channels functionality. And so in case you're not familiar with that, uh, that's kind of a, a concept we introduced in, in the Symphony monologue bundle. Like monologue itself doesn't really have that. So, so what this does essentially is it, it creates multiple loggers, which we call them channels. And then the handlers for the, for the log records are being added to all the loggers or only some of them, like depending on how you configure it. So what this lets you do is that you can, let's say the, those, those, uh, those messages you mentioned, like the, the user invited someone and so on. That's kind of like an audit trail you want to have, right? It's, it's not really about like within the one request, it's not going to help you a lot, I guess, to figure anything out. Yeah, yeah, it's across multiple requests or um, right. sort of a, a bigger scenario that a user did. Mm -hmm. So I think this, I would rather pipe it into a like audit trail channel, let's say. So especially in like Symphony 4 point something now, you can easily have like with the auto wiring and so on, you can easily use these uh, different uh, different channels. Like you can request one to be injected by just calling uh, like the, the name of the channel and then logger, like the, the variable name, if it's called like, let's say audit trail logger and your constructor, it's just going to inject uh, the logger for the audit trail channel. So you can, you can easily have multiple loggers in, in a single service and log to, to different logger depending on the concern. So if it's something you want to, to be able to query later, then you put it in the audit trail one. And then you make sure that the audit trail logger is configured to dump at least everything into, uh, let's say a log file that's separated from the rest that you're going to keep around for a while. And on top of that, it can still also go to the, to the usual log file or the, the usual wherever you send your logs, right? So just lets you kind of split or. I don't know, just attach different in information and different uh, configuration to, to different log, log records. Now, with this, you can also configure the, um, the audit trail logger to log info messages, whereas the alerting channel should only alert for like errors and so on. So you only get an email with, with details when you, there's an error, but, but in every case you get this this uh, this audit trail stuff dumped into a to a file. Okay, so in general, you would go and have m multiple different log files for an application to separate different logging concerns. Kind of, yeah. I would say, I mean, going back to what you were saying about centralized logging and so on, most likely you wanna 
this shouldn't really be files on, on various servers, right? It sh you, you most likely want to have a centralized storage for um, for general logs, and then maybe you want to have a, a special event store that kind of keeps stuff longer for for the audit trail ones. Like you can log diff using different services as well for uh, for different purposes. One other thing that might be handy is the way in which you write a log message. Is there um, sort of particular formats or yeah, formatting that helps a message be passed later? I guess there are sort of some way if you sort of just put it in it in, in a non uh, in, a, in a non thought out way, it would be then hard to to work with later. Do you have particular formats or formats that you recommend not using to make it easy to parse later and like sort of grab or use tool X? Right. So if if you're looking at, let's say, uh, I would separate this into two questions. Uh, one being the format really of like the log itself, like the, the kind of the logging storage backend, which if it's a, just a text file, it's usually like one log record per line. And then this line could be either in kind of a human readable format where you have you know, like the, the typical date and then some details and then the message and then. Uh, more context info at the end. Or you could dump JSON. That makes it more like easier to parse later, but much harder if you're just grabbing things. I would say I would say this is really something you want to look at with with your configuration. Like where where are you gonna put those logs? Right. Like you should you should kind of store them in a way that makes it easy to to work with later according to your stack. So I don't want to really give recommendations there like strictly because that, that highly depends on what your your target storage is. But to the other point of formatting the log record itself, more in the sense of like what you put in the message and so on. So so as per the spec, like per the PSR specification, we have the message is just a string and that's it. And then then you have context information which is like an array of anything, really. So what I see people do a lot, uh, which I find always ends bad, is uh, is like putting variables in line into the message. So you say uh, user dollar user ID, you know, did something. Guilty of that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's kind of the. the typical thing right like that's that's just uh, but then what happens is uh, depending on what you want to do with the logs later uh, suddenly the, the message is not a unique identifier anymore so that can cause problems not necessarily but like for example there's this one thing we we have uh, in monolog which is this uh, deduplication handler and that goes like over multiple requests. It looks at records and it only lets them through once. So you can say like that a log record should only go through once a minute or once every five minutes or something. So when you're doing alerting, this is pretty helpful for avoiding like just massive alerts. Uh, like if something is really going bad, like database is down or something, most likely you're just going to get flooded with with, uh, with errors so if if the log messages are not unique as in well not unique if, if they're if they're not constant over time 
then it can't do its job correctly. Because if you put the user ID in there, then every log message is going to be unique. And that just means you, you get like one per minute per user instead of one per minute per concern. Uh, so it, I find it much better to have the, the log message being really just a string, like a plain string being a description of what's happening, and then use the context info for everything else. So, so the only thing that's somewhat specified in the context info is that if you put an exception, it should be in a key called exception. It doesn't do much, but it's like, at least in monologue, all the formatters, if they see an exception in the exception key, they're going to treat it specially. So they might attach the, the backtrace to, to some, I don't know, depending on the services you use and so on, you, you might get uh, like more valuable information if you do that. But otherwise it's really free for all. Like, so in the, in the user case, I would put like a user ID, uh, key in the, in the context and, and then have the user ID there. Yeah. You, you mentioned user ID. So, um, I guess the question about what about personal identifiable information or sort of GDPR related personal information? Uh, that's a tricky one for sure. <laughs> it's probably something you would completely avoid uh, to lock at all email addresses and all this kind uh, of thing. If, if you can, yes, I guess it's, it's much easier than having to go over the logs and like clear, clearing them up and so on. I'm not hundred percent familiar with the GDPR stuff anymore because it's been a while. I haven't read it, <laughs> but I think that there are some sort of fair use policies for like a certain period, but I'm not sure anymore. Like I would say if you, if you wipe your logs after 30 days, maybe it's fine. I'll do a bit of reading and I'll link to that in the show notes, I think just to be sure. Yeah, <laughs> probably I'm wrong, but <laughs> no, but uh, I, I believe you're right there. So there is, um, if a user, a user would expect you to operate the service at a certain quality level right. and that, that, that requires logging. And then if the purpose is logging, then you, you can, um, sort of to some extent store an email address for a limited amount of time. If it helps, helps you increase the quality of service or something like this. Yeah. I believe that's possible. I think you can. Um, it has been a while since I've looked at it. But I think so long as you, and it may then be subject, uh, as you said, Geordie, to a fair use policy. But if you state it up front that your, like, like your email address or some details may be used for logging purposes and, and this purpose was to help in the event of a crash or to improve the quality of the service, I think you give yourself a, like a, a buffer to use that information. But I guess if, if, that have to be a limit on the information in there. But if you state it up front or in your um, privacy policy, I think you'd be able to you'd give yourself some flexibility there. Uh, that being said, I mean, for for like email addresses, let's say, usually, I mean, some, sometimes this is not true. And like sometimes you're going to have a problem that is actually caused by the email address itself and then like what's contained in it. But usually the, the email address is kind of irrelevant to the, to the matter. It's, it's just might be useful for correlation. And in those cases, it's fine to just hash it, I guess. If you, if you log the, the, like a SHA-1 or whatever of the email address rather than the email itself, um, you can still use that for searching across multiple requests and so on without really like having the information itself. 
Sure. Okay. So I guess we're sort of winding up. Do you want to look at some like your recommended best practices and suggestions that people should do? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so one thing I would highly recommend is always logging like one one record per request with the let's say the, the request URL, maybe the headers. Back going back to the GDPR thing, you probably want to do some sanitizing there because the headers are going to contain like all sorts of sensitive stuff and maybe like session cookies, stuff like that, that you may not want to log. But, uh, but generally speaking, like having this, the information about the, the full request is very useful because I, I think usually that's like that's missing in the, in the frameworks. You might have like the route that's being hit, but not necessarily all the information about it. So that's, that's one thing that I find extremely useful. And what I usually add as well is some sort of like, uh, information about, um, the project, like let's say a project name, a machine name or like a kind of machine identifier might be the, the IP as well, like public IP of the, of the server being hit. Yeah. Probably also the, the environment, like, so I like having all of this information as like as the first record in the in the in the log within a request because when i get an exception like a notification i can then easily see okay like that's you know it's this project if it looks like uh, like if it says it's staging it's probably not super urgent like i you know i don't need to jump on this right now it's just like because being when you're involved in several projects and you have several environments and so on. Like I find it's very easy, easy to get confused. And like, if, if you get an email with like database down, you want to have like the, the information stated super clearly where, and like, because that, that's something you, you know, you, you don't want to lose like five minutes having to look at all the, all your websites and trying to figure out which one is actually being affected. So yeah, and, and just stuff like having the public IP and so on, that can also help. Sometimes things are fairly like machine specific. Uh, it shouldn't be usually, but you know, sometimes it does happen that it's, it's, it's like one machine is actually misbehaving and not, uh, not the code generally. So if you do need to log into it, that's, that can be helpful just to have the, the, the machine IP handy there instead of having to figure out, okay, which, like on which machine this request actually happened. I have to go grab all the logs. and But yeah, I think that's that for me. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, uh, I guess at this point we uh, hand over to you for if there's anything that you would like to uh, draw attention to, to mention, to plug. If there is, feel free. Okay, thanks. So private packages would be the obvious one, I guess, but we already touched on that. So uh, maybe just another one that that I like to to mention because I, I saw this yesterday uh, via Phil Sturgeon and and I think a few other people are involved as well. It's called Treeware.earth. Uh, so Treeware is in like software, but with trees. And it's kind of a license thing for open source. Like it's a side license. It's kind of, you can say, you know, I'm, it's, this project is MIT, but also it's treeware, which means that if you use it in production, you should go and buy a tree in one of these uh, like kind of carbon offsetting projects. 
So I thought that was a pretty interesting project to, to highlight. And thanks for tuning in. The Undercover Elephant is produced by Tideways, a PHP monitoring, profiling, and exception tracking software company. If you want to know more about anything that you heard during the episode, about a wonderful guest, or about Benjamin and myself, check out the show notes in your favorite podcast player. Alternatively, go to undercover-elephant.com. That's undercover-elephant.com. You'll find a link to each episode, which contains show notes for that episode. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, or if you know someone who is very knowledgeable in writing highly performant and scalable PHP applications, then email us at podcast at tideways.com. That's podcast at tideways.com.